Good morning, Calvary. Great to see you. Great crowd, um, especially if you're on this side of the room. If y'all could scoot in a little bit, we still have some people coming in the back. That'd be awesome. Um, we are in the middle of summer, um, and it is winding up. And before you know it, probably like tomorrow, Hobby Lobby will have their Christmas decorations out, right? School advertisements and school supplies will be out, and kids are like, no. But as we're wrapping up this series, I wanted to wrap up this series of Malachi. Um, I was out last week, for those of you who may not know who had COVID. So we skipped last week, so I did a great job. But I wanted to, to come back and wrap this series up because this series is really geared towards people who have called Calvary home. And the reason that is is because in a couple of weeks, we're going to start having more and more guests. Start looking for them. Invite them to party at the park. Get excited about that. Make room. Come at 9 o'clock so we can make room as this service continues to fill up. But as we're addressing the crowd, as we're addressing really what's going on in Malachi, is the author is describing a dispute that's happening between God's church and God himself. And he's relating this to the people of the church who thought they're good. So I, I wanted to, to wrap this series up by going into the last dispute, the, the sixth dispute, because I think it's a good summary of where we've been, but it's also a really good reality check for as we approach the fall. It's a really good reality check for the way that we live our life. Really what we're going to ask ourselves today is, is God worth it? Is he worth it? So as we're looking at this, uh, a couple more backgrounds just to remind you. What was going on is the church thought they were satisfactory, but God uh, was like, yeah, but your heart's not really in it. You're walking through the motions. You showed up. Congratulations. Some of you need to know it starts at 1020, but that's another story. Um, you showed up. Good job. And, and, and then they felt uh, they were privileged. We're, we're, God loves us. And so they didn't really examine their heart, their attitude, and their mind. So we get to the summary, the sixth dispute, the last dispute in Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Here's what it says. Your words against me are harsh, said the Lord. You ask, what have we spoken against you? So the church is going, how, how have we talked bad about you? Do you see that we're the ones who are here? Do you see the ones that we're the ones that put the offering in the offering plate? Do you see the ones that we're the servant in the nursery? How are we talking bad about you? And he, he says, I understand what you're actually thinking. You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. Verses 16 through 18 describe how their judgment will come. The day of the Lord is coming and, and God will show up. But the, the heart of the dispute is really verses 13 through 15, where he's sitting there asking them, do you understand what it looks like to serve me? And the people were going, but we're good, right? And God's going, if you're good, where is your heart? So, overview. What's been going on in this series? Uh, Drew, a few weeks ago, addressed the idea of you measure whether or not God is worth it by where you put your efforts, your times, your energy, your resources. Yes, giving. 
You measure your heart by what you deem worth it, what you put your heart's attention, heart's affection, your mind's attention on. And as you're wondering what it looks like to, to really dwell in the presence of God, here's the danger. We can walk through the motions and play this comparison game. We can walk through this uh, motion and sit here and go, I showed up, I did my part, I'm good. And God asks you today, don't worry about what your neighbor is. Don't sit here and think, boy, this needs to be heard by uncle so-and-so. I'm asking you to stand in a three-foot circle, be in the middle of that circle, and ask, are you worshiping me, being God, like you think you are? Or are you fooling yourself? I got a really encouraging text this morning from a fellow pastor who's like, man, would you pray with me today? I don't want to just walk through the motions of preaching. Do you know how freeing that is to hear that from another pastor? Do you know how freeing that is? Because, guys, I could step up on stage. I've been doing this long enough. Some of you, like, I would rather, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's old illustration says that more people would rather be in the casket than delivering the eulogy, right? For many, the idea of stepping on stage paralyzes you. But for me, it's something I do I could walk up here, I know the words to say, I know the vocabulary, I know what the Bible says, I can walk through, and you should probably be scared to death that I could teach you something that the Holy Spirit could use to prick your heart, and my heart could be distant from the presence of God. That's the wrestling I'm asking us to do. God, help me not to just show up because it's Sunday. So here's the dispute. He's really saying, is God worth it? And dispute number six summarizes, God asked Israel to stop complaining. They say, well, that's, well, how are they complaining? They're complaining by saying, well, if God, you're so good, how come that I don't get everything that those people get? Right? Why do they get the nice homes and the, the promotions and the political wins? And he says, Israel says, well, how are we complaining? And God tells them, you're complaining with your heart because you're not really saying I'm worth everything because you're saying if I don't get what they get, if I'm not prospering like they're prospering, if I don't have the life that I want to have, then you're failing. And he goes, really? Maybe we need to do a little control-alt-delete and, and reassess what we're really all about. You see, the danger is we show up at church and we want a little encouragement. Translation. Daniel, give me something that I can add to my life. But the reality of the way that it works to walk with Christ is as you approach the presence of God, He will almost certainly always ask you to relent, release, let go of something that has got a grip of your presence so that you can might walk in His presence more. We don't like that. We want a little cup of Jesus and then eat the meal we want, right? We want, we want the present without the, the price that we have to pay. We want to be healthy without ever having to work out and eating whatever we want. It does not work that way. I've tried. 
many, many times. And so what God says, if you really want me, you got to make sure that I'm worth it to you. The danger is we don't really stop to ask the question because we play the comparison game. And the comparison game goes like this. God, I know you must love me because have you seen the way they're living? Right? Anybody know what prayer gossip is? Prayer gossip is the uh, tried and true time when you show up to a group of small group or saints and you sit there and you go, well, where's sister so-and-so? Well, sister so-and-so is not doing good Here's how she's failing. Blah, 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 blah. We need to pray for her. Right? You're not really praying for her. You're gossiping, and you just had to find a way to gossip. If you really cared about her, you'd go talk to her and try to show her that, you see what I'm saying? We play the comparison game all the time, and we sit there and go, I'm good. I mean, do you know how much money I give to this church? By the way, I don't. Do you realize how hard I serve? You can serve, you can show up, but it doesn't mean that you're actually worshiping God. And this should cause us great fear. This should cause us to pause. Because God could be looking at what you're offering today, what I'm offering today, here in this moment, as worship. And he could be sitting there going, what do you think you're doing? You're missing a me. So here's the caution. Malachi 4, 1 through 3. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves in the stall. I've never seen that, but it sounds really cool. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I'm preparing, says the Lord of armies. You know, we like that. Oh, good. If I stay the course one day, I'm on the winning side. The winning side seems to be a prevalent theme for where we're at right now. You know what concerns me more than anything else? And I'm not going to go too far tangent on this. I'm concerned we've created a culture that cares more about winning than the actual issues we say we care about. Another sermon, another time. The heart of what we're trying to be about is what God wants us to be. We want victory! But do you see the way to get victory? Those who fear the Lord. See, if you fear the Lord, if you fear the Lord, you can have everything. But if you don't, you're in danger of being trampled. The tried and true illustration of the the greatest advice I've ever gotten was the pastor who looked me square in the face when I was 23 years old and said, Daniel, you need to realize you're capable of any sin. I knew that, but there's something about the way he said that that really got to the marrow of my bones. Right? 
You could be the one that cheats on your spouse. You could be the one with the addiction. You think anybody ever sets out, oh, I want to get addicted today. Let me start. Right? But if you fear the Lord, there's something about that that brings us back to the place where God shows up. And he asks us to be more like him. What does it look like to be more like him? It's this fancy church word called holiness. Being like the one who is holy. Grasping the characteristics of God and saying, God, make me more like you. Now here's what I've discovered the older I get. Holiness is a standard that God gives us and he doesn't lower the bar. The more I read the Bible, the more I realize how little it says go and beg people to come to church by lowering the bar and making the expectations as easy as possible. In other words, go out and tell people, hey, come to church. You don't got to give. You don't need to serve. Just come drink the coffee. We hope you run into Jesus. Woo! The Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible says when you come into the presence of God, when you interact with the who God is, when you come, you will want, you will desire to be more like him, which causes you to place to realize he is worth it. And when he is worth it, you're not just paying your fee to come watch an attraction. You're saying, God, everything that you're about, make me about. Take hold of me, God, and draw me into your presence. The way we practice holiness, well, it's more like a story I found in Jeremiah 13. And originally this sermon was going to preach last week when there was a lot more kids that were going to be in the room. So if you'll bear with me, this following story was really geared more towards kids. But there are some kids in the room, so let's all put on our inner little kid child for a moment and just talk about this. There's a great story in Jeremiah 13 where Jeremiah, God asked Jeremiah, hey, go buy some underwear. All the kids would love it. Okay. And so this idea, God, God told me to go buy some underwear. From here on, I'm going to use the word underpants because underwear is just a weird word to say. And so as he says, go buy some underpants, okay? And then I want you to go bury them in a field and forget about them. So Jeremiah does it. And then some time passes, and then God tells Jeremiah, hey, I want you to go dig up those underpants. So he goes and digs up those underpants, and he says, now put them on. And he's like, I can't put those on. I mean, they're gross, right? They smell like my brother. They're ruined. What do you want? And then the passage says, this is the idea of the way the church approaches me. You want me in your time of need. But you know what you actually are supposed to do with underwear? Is wear it every single day. If you're a kid in this room and you don't know that, you're welcome. Your mom's thanking you. Okay? You wear it every It's not something you have to broadcast. Hey, every, I don't have to come up on stage and go, hey, everybody, I'm wearing the proper undergarments today. I know, that's funny, right? <laughs> I love it. We don't have to do that. We don't, right? But yet when you wear the presence of God with you every day, it should become as natural as intuitive as saying, God, you are here with me. The reality is we all approach God differently, but it is the pursuit of holiness by grace that we will find God's presence. 
And so why do we approach God? I'm going to give you a few reasons why people approach God, and oftentimes this is a starting place. The danger is when these starting places become our permanent reason for pursuing God, because as we mature in our faith with God, we pursue him for, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. One reason that people pursue God is out of habit. Sunday, I grew up in a church. My mom gave birth on Friday. I was in church Sunday morning, right? That mentality? I, this is what I do. This is who I am, and, and habit's okay, except I've told you that you can walk through the habit and not really understand and have the heart of worship. The second reason people approach God is they're in a difficult spot. And that's okay, but it's, it's also the idea if you only approach God in the difficult spot, that's the definition of going and digging up the underwear, right? What sustains you is learning how to seek God day in and day out. So when the cancer treatment comes, you're at peace. When the job loss happens, you're at peace. When the relationship's on the rocks, you're at peace because God is with you. You've learned how to walk with him day in and day out. You've learned how to walk with him in every moment because in this world, there will be trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. The third one is the one that creeps into us, and I want to spend the most time on it. They, we approach God because we want something. And not just to get out of trouble. We want something. We want to increase our status. We want something. We want to be in the favor of God, but as minimalistic as possible, right? Uh, God, how little can I give you in order to succeed in life the most? And we believe in the heart of hearts that if we're faithful to God, that's what's best to us. And so we fool ourselves into thinking that we're actually doing a really good job of pursuing the very presence of God that he asks us to do because we play the comparison game, but we never actually stop to ask ourselves if we are actually pursuing God like he wants us to. This is when good things become bad. When our priorities shift and before you know it, the kids become the priority over God. What's wrong with having nothing? But God should be your first priority. When the promotion becomes the priority over God. If I have to work, the church is going to have to understand. Right? When the relaxation becomes the priority. It's easy and it creeps up on us. And, and this is not just something that is this affects us all this last week I was doing some research and the research kind of depressed me as I was trying to look of examples and even in the ministry where this happens but when we start using God instead of worshiping God when we start walking through the motions this is the place where we become broken and so, there's a man who literally wrote the book on humility who was fired for pride. There's another man <clears throat> who wrote the book, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, who was fired for his pursuits of other things. And that cost him everything. Let that sink in. And then I started coming up with a list, but it was too long to detail the number of men who have preached on how to affair-proof your marriage while having an affair. But yeah, you're good. <laughs> we, we think we're above it. And we elevate our status to, I'm holy, based on the life we live with others. 
And I'm wondering today, because when we, we come into the presence of God, it's rarely met with a, you're doing great. It's usually met with a, oh, oh. And then God looks at us and goes, yeah, the child, I love you. One word of caution, because the enemy is smart. There's many of us who oftentimes feel like we're doing better than we actually are, and that's the bulk of what I'm addressing. But there's the other side of it that says, I'm never good enough. The place where you realize, man, this week I really wasn't the father I needed to be. How am I supposed to preach? Or, whew, I thought I was going to be the world's greatest mom. Kid number three came. I'm the third kid. I can say that. I thought that my life was going to be steady and steadfast, and then God still loves you, and he uses the broken people to point to how good he is. So there's a balance here of not feeling holier than thou, but not feeling unloved, because child God loves Exclamation point. So what does this mean? What does this look like? How do we come to the place where we're saying, okay, God, how am I supposed to live? And go back to the garden. Think about this. Adam and Eve, <laughs> they were in the garden and life was good because sin hadn't entered the world, right? And they were walking around and they didn't have to wear those underpants. And they were not ashamed. By the way, thank you for wearing clothes. And they were not ashamed because there was no such thing as lust. There was no such thing as body issues. There was no such thing of insecurity, fear, anxiety, depression. There was none of that existed. Instead, what they found is that in the presence of God, we are good. And sin, when it comes in, distorts us and ruins our identity that we were made to be. So the pursuit of the holiness is the pursuit to get back into a right relationship with God that helps us to understand that God loves us right where we are. So the pursuit of God does not make him love us more. Rather, the pursuit of God helps us to know him more. And in his presence, this is where we will feel loved. And when you feel loved, you're going to find it's worth it. And when you find it's worth it, you'll worship. How do we measure whether or not we're living our life like we should? How's your worship? Because you see, worship is our response to God for what he's doing in our life. Daniel Berry via Louis Giglio. Said that backwards. I had COVID last week. Louis Giglio via Daniel Berry. And the way we worship is to encounter his presence. And so let me ask you this. Are you seeking the presence of God daily? 
just like you're putting on your undergarments. Are you asking him to make you better? Are you willing to encounter who he is? The hardest part of this for me is I can't make you. But I've given my life to try to tell you how worth it he really is. Maybe this week you felt like a horrible human being. God still loves you. Maybe this week you felt way too much about yourself. (laughs) God still loves you, but you better get that figured out. And when all is said and done, it's really about worship. Do you worship God? How do we do that? Malachi 4, 4 through 6. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. The statutes and the ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Remember the instructions. The idea of turning our hearts. He talks about Elijah and the coming of John the Baptist and Jesus and all the foreshadowing of that. And he will come turn their hearts to the fathers. And so it's when we understand what it looks like to walk with God, when we seek him and God has given us his word, his instructions, his Bible, his commands to remind us how to walk in the presence of God. Say, it's important to understand how to read the Bible because you can take the Bible out of context. So we've actually given you a lot of clues and and further research you can do if you want to scan the QR code on your bulletin or on the back of your chair. You can see a lot of helpful hints on how to talk with your kids about that and understanding the different contexts of scriptures and the way the different, but I want to boil it down to simply as this. When you hide God's word in your heart and remind yourselves that the God's word is about helping us to find God, it changes everything. You know how I know? Can anyone in this room guess what my first scripture verse I ever memorized was? If you said John 3.16, you're wrong. Genesis 1.1, you're wrong. Now the intuitive person in the back is saying, oh, he's going to do the Jesus wept verse. Nope. Didn't know that existed until I was like 17. Okay, the very first verse I ever memorized, my mom actually taught to me because I snuck into a place where I, some of you have heard this before, where I shouldn't have gone. I accidentally, when I was like four years old, accidentally, intentionally, because I was embarrassed because my, anyways, I saw a Dracula movie, which did not go well for a four-year-old mind. And for months, if not, I still to this day sleep with something around my neck, Okay. It created horrors in my life. And my mom taught me a verse to song, which I'm not going to sing to you, but it was Psalms 56.3. She taught it in the King James because it rhymed. With time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Psalms 56.3. Do you know how often I quoted that verse in my life as a kid? With time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. With time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. With time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. God, and what that verse is saying is God's presence is still here. So Dracula is not real, but God is. In case you didn't know that, Dracula is not real. I know, I've checked. And you know what's amazing to me is the way those verses comfort me as a child, but as I grow up, I sit there and go, oh, 
the economy's going bad. Uh oh, time to get scared. Oh, what, what's going on over here? Time to get fearful. And instead of really taking it to the throne room of God, I, I somehow try to control this. Instead of understanding what it looks like, it's like as an adult, we forget what it looks like to walk in the presence of God and the innocence of allowing God to be in control of our life. No, we try to control our life and give God His due instead of saying, God, my whole life belongs to you. Every part of who I am, every fiber of who I am, God, may you be as foundational to me as the clothes that I wear under there. God, may you be so foundational to me that I can't imagine going a day without you. And God, when those fears come in, help me not to try to control them. When I worry about my children, help me not to try to control the situation. When I worry about my relationships, help me not to try to control them. When I worry about my future economy life, help me not to control it. But God, may you be the authority of my life because you are worthy of worship. And when I find the presence of God, when I learn how to release that, when I learn to walk in his presence, God's holiness shows up and his presence becomes the greatest present that the world has ever known. Church, I'm asking you today to really measure the heart of your worship by what you're willing to do to find that kind of peace. Are you willing to go all in? To sacrifice, to discipline, to read his word, to know his word and not look for just a little encouragement but to look for the very presence of God himself the world doesn't need a bunch of Christians looking for encouragement anymore the world needs people who are adamant about finding Christ himself good news the tomb is empty and ain't nobody found nobody because he is alive we can know him if you don't know Jesus we'd love for you to know him there'll be some of us talking up front at the end of the stage at the end of the service probably not me because I will be in a mask somebody will be there we'd love to tell you more about Jesus as for the rest of us, let me encourage you this week. Don't walk through the motions. Fight for the very presence of God. And a simple way to remind yourself to do this is our daily training for the week. Check in with God before you check in with the world. Don't put on your clothes without putting on your undergarments. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, you carried that illustration one step too far. Okay, I did. <laughs> Four steps too far. <laughs> Thank you for that. But the reality is that's the basics of who we are. It begins and ends with his presence. Is he worth it? You could say yes, but are you worshiping? Worshiping is so much more than the songs we sing. It's the way we live. We invite you to that today.
Oh God, come take hold of us. Guard us and guide us. Draw us into your presence, your peace. God, we need you to move and breathe. Thank you for who you are, for what you're doing in our lives. God, right now, may we experience you. And God, I know some will experience you leading with emotion, and we pray that that is holy. God, some will experiencing you right now, uh, will be experiencing you right now with their thoughts and their minds. Make it holy. God, some will need to experience you with genuine wrestling. Stir their souls. But God, may we not walk through the motions. For you are good and holy and just and kind. You are faithful. Lord of lords, King of kings, friend. Emmanuel, God, who is here with us. And it's in your holy name we pray.